My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. In this series in the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to this uh, area of churches, we've been seeing so much about Jesus in this message of the good news. And every week we've been seeing the very basic truth that Paul keeps hammering home, which is it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's not Jesus plus your works, Jesus plus adhering to the law. It's Jesus plus nothing that you come to faith in Jesus through Jesus alone. Uh, but, you know, that does bring up an interesting conundrum, a question, maybe uh, seemingly a contradiction, because one of the questions that has come up actually a couple times in the last week or so is, OK, but but what are you saying? Is Paul saying that you could come to faith in Jesus and do whatever you want? I remember long before I was a Christian uh, talking to my mom about this, that people who believed in uh, what's called eternal security taught that you could pray a prayer, receive Jesus and, you know, live like hell the rest of your life and you're going to get to heaven. It's like, how? How could that be? And uh, I just didn't understand what the Bible actually taught. And, you know, that is an interesting thing. As you read through the Bible, you go, what about this? What about that? And in fact, I want to show you a, a potential conundrum. Every once in a while, I have people, they'll come up and, you know, we'll engage in a conversation. And people say, you know, I, I, you know, I, I like the Bible, but there are too many contradictions. And I go, awesome. I've read the Bible a lot. Show me one of them. And they don't. Uh, th- there are some questions. Oh, there are some huge questions. In fact, if you don't have questions about the Bible, come talk to me. I'll give you some questions, okay? Because it's a big book. There's a lot of things in there. But one of the ones that really isn't as much confusion as we like to make it is this connection of faith and works. This is what we're talking about. In fact, a uh, little trivia for you, you. You might have at the office this week. Uh, the very first New Testament book ever written was the book of James. The half-brother of Jesus, AD 45, just about 15 years after Christ is uh, crucified, buried, rose again. James writes his book. And he writes a practical guide to faith. First New Testament book written. And it just is amazing. In fact, I want to just quote a little bit here. James writes this and he says in this argument about... Faith and works. This is interesting. He says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God, to be righteous, to be put in a right relationship with God, to be justified? Don't you remember that Abraham was made right with God by his actions, by his works, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? So you see, his faith and actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scripture said, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of 
of God. It seems that James is saying that it was faith plus action plus works. In fact, the the next verse is kind of clear. Look at this. So you see, we are shown to be made right with God, to be in a right relationship with God, to be justified with God by what we do. Oh, hold on. What's Paul going to say about that? Not by faith alone. Well, three years later, AD 45, the very first letter of Paul is, is Galatians. And it's almost as if James is on the top seller list, you know, in the New York Times. And everybody reads that Paul gets a copy, freaks out, writes Galatians, right? Because it seems like Paul is saying the exact opposite. This is what Paul says. Pastor Mark preached this uh, in Galatians 3, 6. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, that seems like a contradiction because James says it's not by faith alone. It's by what you do. And Paul says, no, 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 it's by faith alone. It's like, okay, which one is it? Is the Bible contradicting itself? Well, the answer is no. Well, then the question is, which one is right? And the answer is yes. Like, what? (laughs) What does that mean? Well, they're seeing it from two different perspectives. You see, the Bible teaches that we come to faith with God, this relationship through Jesus alone. But the Bible also tells us very clearly, and James really hits on this because of his audience, because of his purpose, that when you have come to faith in Christ, you will show evidence of that in your life. And if you say you come to faith in Christ and show no evidence, then you probably didn't come to faith in Christ because anybody that's come to faith in Christ will have a changed life. So James is writing to people. He's just ardent about this. He says, When you come to faith, you will show it. Your works will be the fruit of your life. And Paul is talking to people who say you have to code Jesus plus law equals salvation. And he's saying, no way. You don't have to show any evidence of that to be saved. But see, now comes the question. What does it really mean? I want to show it this way. There is a past, present, and future tense of our salvation. And when the Bible talks about salvation, it it could mean one of the three. Uh, Usually it talks about the first one. So I'll I'll use it for me. In 1979, December 1979, I believed in Jesus Christ. I had heard about Jesus. I knew a lot about Jesus. I'd gone to church. But it was one morning when I got up, I was in my bedroom down in Petaluma. I remember this vividly. I was wrestling with God or God was wrestling with me. He had sent the hounds of heaven on me and they wore me out. And it was that moment I was saved. I believed I I made a, a commitment. I had this acknowledgement. I confessed it and I became a follower of God. I became a follower of Jesus. I was a son of God at that point. The Bible says I was justified. What Jesus did on the cross now was applied to me. So I was saved. The Bible says one day I'm going to die. We're all going to die. And it's appointed for all of us to die. And after that, to face judgment. Um, I felt like I was going to die yesterday. I was close, actually. I really considered it. Um, yesterday was a good day to die. Right, Seth? Uh, Seth and I went out to run. Uh, he's 12. I'm 53. And uh, he's been doing really well. And I said, let's go run. We're going to do a race. So we're signed up for the 10K at the Helvetia Half. And let's get it. you got to get out on the road, though. We're doing treadmill because it's cold and rainy. And, and um, so let's get out there and run. And we take off. I said, let's do four miles on the road. Uh, a mile into this, I look at my uh, watch, and it says my heart rate is 169. 
nine. I'm panting and breathing and I'm doing the math. 220 minus 53, 167. I probably am running too fast. 10 minutes later, I'm like, okay, Seth, I really need to slow down. You're going to kill me. All right. It would not be good for you to go home without your dad. Okay. Um, but you know, so I didn't thanks for, you know, slacking off for me. Um, and it's humbling when your kids can outpace you. Right. And, and yet one day our heart will stop one day. We will finish our salvation because of what Jesus has done by receiving a new body, a glorified body. And I'm hoping for the Brad Pitt model myself, but, um, but uh, did you say that's right? I, you did. She did. She did. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. And so, um, you know, you pick your model, I'm picking the Brad Pitt model, but, um, but, but that's the culmination of our salvation. But in the meantime, in the meantime, today, we are being saved. That's called sanctification. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit enters our life at the moment of salvation, of justification. The Holy Spirit's role in us is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. That we would think like Jesus, act like Jesus, you know, breathe like Jesus, live like Jesus, have the passion of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is molding us into the image of Jesus. That is the today part of our salvation. And, and I know we fight that. I know we struggle. I know we, we, you know, we have difficulty in that. We have good days. We have bad days. I get it. We have good years. We have bad years. We have some things in our lives that really slow us down. We have seasons where we just excel. But the fact is God's spirit works within us. In fact, this is what the apostle Paul says, I love this in uh, Philippians chapter two, Paul says, work hard. This is on us to show the results of your salvation. Now, this is the cool part. When he talks about salvation, he says, you have an ownership of this work hard. The NIV, when I memorized it as a young person, it was work out your salvation, not work for your salvation, but work it to this great completion end. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And here's God's part for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So there is this combination of you working this out and the Holy spirit, God in you working through and giving you the energy. So there will be evidence of your salvation. You should see fruit. You should see works. Now, let's go back to this conundrum of James and Paul. Well, I remember as a young believer not getting the connection and thinking that James and Paul were actually coming at loggerheads. Did you know that Martin Luther, that good looking guy we looked at last week, uh, who got the 95 theses, nailed it on the wall at Wittenberg and started the reformation. And now we have Protestant churches around the world because of this act. He, he struggled with James. He called it a lightweight gospel, a lightweight literature. It was a straw epistle. He called it. It had no weight. It could be burned up. And he, he, if it would up to him, he would have said, let's get rid of it from the Bible. It doesn't match the rest of scripture because he struggled with James simple truth is that you better show the evidence of your salvation. Uh, Luther was so focused on Galatians and Romans. It says you're saved by faith in Jesus alone. And James says, yes, but you better show it by your faith. Well, here's, here's the answer. Here's why the answer is, is it Paul or James? The answer is yes. See, Paul wrote in Romans, and he's speaking about this in Galatians, about Abraham. The Bible says that when Abraham was 80 years old, he'd already been told the promises by God. He'd already left Ur the Chaldees in the Mesopotamian area, crossed the Fertile Crescent, went to the land of the promised land, Israel as we know it today, Palestine, that Fertile Crescent area. 
And he was there, and by faith he followed God. But there was one night, he was 80 years old, he hadn't seen the promises fulfilled. He didn't have a son. He didn't have children, a whole, I mean, think of Abraham is the father, a blessed father, Uh, Abram, Abraham is the father of a multitude. What a humiliating name when you have no kids and can't have them, right? God changed his name. And one day God pulled him outside one night says, look at the stars, the promises I made to you that you're going to have a child that you're going to. You see that child bless the world that you're going to be famous. You're going to have land. You know, you're going to have this promise delivered. Abraham didn't see any of it at that point. And God said, look up at the stars, count them if you can, because your descendants will be more than those stars. And it says that in that moment, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, that's when Abraham came to faith in God in that moment. Now, when he was a hundred, Isaac had been born. He began to see the results coming true. This wonderful son of promise, he begins to grow up and God speaks to him again and says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go to the mountain. I will show you and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham obeyed. And he went to the point where he went to offer his son on an altar and God intervened and said, now I know that you will not even withhold your most beloved son. Now, see, that's what James is talking about. Abraham's talking about his salvation experience. It was by faith alone. James is saying, and the testing of his faith, the working out of his faith was a work that showed he was justified by God. So I hope you have both. I hope you have a moment when you came to Christ and you say, I stand before God, pure and holy, not because of me, you know, because of Jesus. And yet now I know that I can see some evidence of my salvation. Now, the road is rocky in between. I get that. In fact, we're going to see it today. But when Paul talks about this, he begins to pull in a lot of Abraham and Moses. And I would say a lot of us disconnect um, because it doesn't really relate to us today. We don't wake up thinking about which sacrifices we have to alter, uh, offer today. And we have to go get a lamb or is this a bull or is this or that? You know, we don't live in that world. In fact, I would say that at least to my knowledge, we're all Gentiles. None of us have Jewish descent. And if we have Jewish descent, we didn't, you know, adhere strongly to the laws of Moses before then. So we didn't have that kind of conversion experience. We're just basic people who live our lives and who kind of have this experience with God. And now we read this book of Galatians where he's talking about Moses and Abraham. And it's just like, get me to something I really can understand, right? Today, I want to help us understand the connection between the Old and the New Testament, Abraham and Moses and Jesus. And then when we read the Old Testament, we're going to have a new appreciation. So in your Bibles, we're in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 22, page 891 in your chair Bible, if you have a moment to turn there. So as you're turning there, why did God give 613 laws to Moses? It's like 613 I can't even remember 13. I bet you couldn't even remember the 10, right? You know, even if you saw Charlton Heston up on the mountain getting those, you know, tablets carved by the hand of God, you know, we we don't, certainly we don't obey them all, right? Why were all the commands? How many of you have read through the Old Testament and thought, what in the world is going on? Raise your hand. Okay, those that haven't raised their hands haven't read through the Old Testament, (laughs) especially Leviticus. I'm, man, I'm... I'm working through now 
And I was just at David and Goliath this morning. But get through Leviticus. I'm like, seriously, God? How much blood has to be spilled? And who could keep track? Maybe there's an app for that now. You put in your sin and it'll tell you exactly the sacrifices, you know, depending on the day or if you're male or female or whatever. You know what I mean? But that was confusing. Talk about rules. Today we're going to talk about that. But it's going to get a little deep. Like I said... Paul is dumping all this theology about the Old Testament because he's talking to people that are being challenged in their faith that they have to obey the Old Testament. Paul's saying, no, 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 but he has to dump all that out and we'll see something really practical today. So Paul picks up in verse 15 of chapter three, dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement. Okay, because it's irrevocable. So it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham. Now think about that. That word promises is tethered to Abraham. Real important for us in the story today. When you think about Abraham, think of promises, think of promises, think of Abraham. That's the key figure there. And his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants, although he was promised many descendants. The blessing God promised him was through a child. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. So before Christ, Abraham existed. And, uh, you know, you can add 2000 years there. You can see that journey uh, before Christ. And Abraham is the one who received the promises. The nation of Israel is born. Moses shows up about 1500 years before Christ. And then Christ shows up. That's that, that time period. He goes on to say this. In the next slide, he says, this is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. So when you think about the law, think about Moses or Moses, the law. So Abraham and promise, promise and Abraham, law and Moses, Moses, law. Think about those things. What he's saying right here is you think you have to obey all the laws of Moses. Well, did Abraham have faith with God? And if you say he did, he didn't have the law. For 430 years, they didn't have the law. And they found favor with God. They believed God without the law. The law hasn't existed forever. In fact, his point is going to be the law had a time, a start and an end. It started with Moses, ends with Jesus. And you can't go back to the law. And if you think you have to, to be saved, what about Abraham? Because he didn't have the law. He just simply believed in God. God would be breaking his promise for if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law. That's what these uh, Judaizers, these Jewish believers, or Paul says false believers are demanding of the Christians in the Galatian region. that You've got to keep the law. Jesus plus Moses equals salvation is what they were saying. Then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God's gracious, but God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. So what he's saying is bottom line is if you struggle with this idea of all the law, all the Old Testament, and you wonder what the purpose of it had a specific purpose for the Jewish people in a specific time. And it was in effect for them. It's not in effect for us now. Now we can debate about the moral law and the Ten Commandments. And I'm not saying you can go out and kill someone today, you know, because, you know, that kind of thing. But, but the idea is that there were specific components of that law that only related to the Jewish people when they were following God underneath the law of Moses. And it doesn't relate to us now. 
You go, but what value does it have? Well, it has tremendous value because as we read those stories, we see examples, we see stories, we see encouragements and challenges to us. It's all written, Paul says, so that we would have a greater faith. All right. But don't subject yourself to the law. Don't put yourself under the law thinking, well, now I'm going to be a better person. And most of us are sitting there thinking, why would I even do that? Well, to extrapolate into our day and age, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, I think we still do that. We put ourselves under rules and regulations, thinking that by obeying them, we'll be better off. In fact, there are churches all around uh, and, and even today and, 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 you know, in our day and age, I know I grew up with that. My mom grew up with that. Some of you, you know, older people, you grew up with very strict religious rules. There are groups that call themselves Christians that have the same strict rules about your conversation, about your dress code, about what you can do, what you can't do, your entertainment, all these rules they put into effect and they create a list of, let's call them laws. And if you obey the laws, you check those off, then you are right with God. And even if you're not doing it for religious purpose, you know, we all have this religious bent in our heart. It's something within us that feels like I have to work for this. I have to earn this. I mean, I want to be good enough to get to the end of my life so that I could feel good about myself. Or if you add God to the equation, I want to feel good enough at the end of my life to where at the end of my life, when I stand before God, my good outweighs my bad. And therefore, I'm good enough to go to heaven, to which we've forgotten that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. There's no one that's good. Except God himself, you know, we're pretty broken and lost. And so we, we still are religious people, even if we don't have the law of Moses. So he says this, this idea of this promise of God has come. Now I want to go to the next text and kind of flesh it out a little more. It's, it's it, again, though, it's, it's super deep in the law and all this stuff. He says, well, then why was the law given? Good question. Why did I have to read Leviticus again? You know, what's the purpose of all that? Well, there was a purpose. The law was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. With Abraham, they were promised this child that would be born to cover all their sin. But up to that point, the law was a reminder that they had sinned. Do you want, do you want a reminder that you are not going to match up to the standards of God? Read Leviticus. I can't believe the number of laws. I can't believe the number of restrictions. It was a reminder. It was a daily in your face that you have fallen far short of my standards. There's complete separation between you and me. It's a reminder that we've all sinned and all fallen short of God's perfect standard. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Now that that's pretty strong. And that means that all the old Testament law was like a clock that was ticking. It started long, long before Christ with Moses. And it ended when Christ was the final sacrifice he was the ultimate offering for sin, and the law was null and void at that point. It had a time period, and it was in effect as a way to remind the people of how far away from God they were. He says here, God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Now, basically what he's saying there is if you go back to the Abrahamic covenant, the promise there, uh, God and Abraham didn't shake hands to make this deal. God put Abraham in a sleep 
sacrifice the animal. God alone walked through it. That it was God and God alone. It's not built on our own performance, our own ability to keep up to it. Because we never could, right? So Paul is saying very clearly, if you want to go back to the law of Moses, first of all, it's over. <laughs> it's, it's, it's null and void. It, it's not in effect anymore. And two, it will just drive you to defeat, now, let me sum it up and then get some application for us. Here's a simple way as we looked at these words. First of all, when you think about Abraham, you think about the promise. Abraham was given the promise. The promise, the promises of land, of seed, of blessing. But in particular, this blessing through one child, which he didn't understand, but is Jesus, the Messiah, the one that's been they've been waiting for. So Abraham received the promises. And Abraham didn't receive the answer to those, but he believed by faith. Okay, But then Moses shows up and the law comes into effect 430 years later after uh, the finalization of the Abrahamic covenant. And so now Moses receives the law given to God, by God through angels to Moses, and the law is given to the people. But then time passes and finally Jesus shows up and the Bible says that he goes and he is offered as a sacrifice for our sins. And when he goes to the cross on that Good Friday, on that Passover, when the lamb was chosen, when the lamb was sacrificed for the nation, that one lamb to cover for this whole year and to do all this work, the Bible says the curtain between uh, the holy of holies in the holy place the veil that protected the priests from even seeing the presence of god it was ripped from top to bottom now we can go into the presence of god because jesus was the final the complete the full sacrifice for our sins now that's been done for us now again i know i know i I know where's the bed go thank you for that theological lesson about the law now uh i've got to pick up my daughter at 3 30 and she's in rebellion against me how do i work with that Okay, you know, it's like I have to go to work tomorrow morning. And do you know the people I work with? How does that relate to me? You know, here's what I want to say. Every one of us, every one of us struggle to fulfill the law, whatever the law is for us. Every one of us have good days. Every one of us have bad days. Every one of us have good seasons and every one of us will have bad seasons. And if you haven't had a bad season yet. It's coming. You know, for this we have Jesus, my friends. You see, if you want to try to live a life of perfection, good luck with that. It will drive you to despair. Now, I'm not saying we have a license to go sin and do whatever we want. God forbid. But the reality, when we look in the mirror, we are failures when it comes to perfection. Do you know that Abraham was a failure? Have you ever read his life? He was disappointing. Seriously. You look, I mean, how many times? I can't even count the number of times Abraham failed. And yet God looked at him and saw a man of faith. A man who believed the promises. In the middle of all the failure. Moses? Okay, he murdered a guy in anger. Okay, if that's not failure, I don't know what is, right? He struggled, he wrestled, and he wasn't even allowed in the promised land because of one of his failures, because he dishonored the holiness of God. It's like Moses failed. Moses, the man of God, failed. You look in the mirror, you failed. I failed. Do you, I let, Eugene Peterson wrote a great kind of a commentary-ish book on Galatians. And he just says, you know, 
brothers and sisters of Christ, we have the freedom to fail. Because Jesus died for that failure. And it's not a license to sin, but it's a reminder that none of us get it right. We will all struggle. We will all falter. We will all buckle at times. None of us will get it right, my friends. There will be seasons where you're super strong in your faith and things are going well. And there will be seasons that you are just beat up. There will be seasons where you see and you sense the Holy Spirit work in this incredible energy in in you. And you see this wonderful evidence of your salvation. And there will be times you wonder if you're even saved because of the trouble you're in, right? But for that, we have Jesus. Jesus died for all of our sin. All of it. Past, present, and future. And again, I'm not saying it's a license to sin. I'm just saying it's a realization that you don't have to be perfect. Because guess what? You're not. You're not. And if you think you are, you're going back to religion. You're going back to works. You're going back to law. You're going back to check boxes that'll make you feel good. And I know it. You know why Jesus plus good works feels good? Because it feels good. I got Jesus, but man, I'm good too. And he's lucky to have me. Have you seen all the things I've done, Jesus? I'm much better than all those other low lives in the church. Man, I, you, you're so proud to have me, right? That's called religion. It's, it feels good to work. For our salvation. But it doesn't work. We are utter failures at that. That's why we have Jesus. And truthfully, we're going to struggle in our faith. We're going to have high seasons. We're going to have off the chart mountaintop experiences with God. And we're going to crash hard. You can see that in the Bible. Elijah, I love this story. He's up there. He's on this mountain, Mount Carmel. And he's up there and he's defeated all these prophets of Baal. And he's had this major victory. Just after that, he's like, God, kill me. I'm like, wow, talk about depression. Yeah, you have that. Ask any pastor. Don't talk to me tomorrow. I'm going to want to quit tomorrow. My, my ministry is always, it's like we get, you get on this spiritual high and then you just drop so low. That's because we all fail. We all struggle. You have good seasons. We have bad seasons. I'm not trying to depress you here. I'm just trying to help you see that. For this, we have Jesus, my friends. Don't. Count on your own righteousness to save you originally or to save you in your own journey with Jesus. Fall upon the grace of God. Yes, the Holy Spirit's working in you. Yes, we have these things that were to work out, to see it to full completion. But the fact is, even in that, there will be times when we can look in the mirror and go, I don't match up. And we go, Thank you, God, for Jesus. Because if I ever get to the day where I look in the mirror and go, I do match up, I've really lost perspective. For this, we have Jesus. Paul wraps all this up with the rest of the verse, the passage, I should say. And he says, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Are are Abraham and Moses in heaven fighting right now? Are they duking it out? No. There's not a conflict. You have to understand, absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But scriptures, the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. See, Paul says there isn't a conflict. Abraham and Moses is not a conflict. We believe by faith like Abraham did. And we received the law as Jewish people from Moses. But that time 
ended. That season is over because all the sacrifices were completed in Jesus. And now on the cross, it's complete. And now what we do is we go to Jesus because he's the only one that can open the cell door of our heart. He's the only one that can free us from the slavery to sin. He's the only one that can drop and loosen the chains that will allow us to walk out of the prison of sin. Our own effort can't do it. Our own energy, our own goodness, our own morality, our own obeying the laws, our own all that stuff. None of it can do it except Jesus and Jesus alone. So the Bible declares very clearly that we're prisoners of sin. We've seen this week after week. Paul is saying that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. Every one of us were born that way. We live that way. We live in denial. We think we're good. We think we can do it. And we go to church and we do good things. And we try to kind of power our way through it. But that's just a way to add more law and add more religion. Jesus died to crush all that. He died to free us from all that. And now when we, by faith... The Bible says, confess, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. When we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we are saved. We stand before God, holy and blameless. Nothing to do with us. He even gives us the faith to believe. And now we believe and we declare it to be true. And man, that sets in in motion the rest of our lives till one day we stand before him full and complete absolutely perfect bodies our salvation is finished and we are now once again with him the way it was originally planned to be but in the meantime we live in this wrestling zone of paradise and prison as a follower of christ you know but if you're here and you've not been freed from the prison doors that's that's the thing you got to do that and you do it by confessing in jesus as lord He's he's the master. He's the boss. Believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He died on the cross. He's your forgiver. He's your savior. And then you enter into this family of God. And now we fall upon Jesus every day. And we don't try to power through it. We we don't try to earn our way through it. We We don't deserve it. We can't do anything to continue to earn more and more. We just grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. And there's good steps. There's, I mean, there's faulty steps. There are good seasons. There are struggling seasons. But in the middle of all that, for this, we have Jesus. And one day we will see him face to face and it will be complete. And we'll look back and it was all about Jesus anyway. We were just along for the ride. You know, we, we're hopping on his back and he's carrying us through all of it. So for you and for me, I've been a follower for years or decades. Um, don't live under the belief that God's disappointed in you. He's not. You failed? Absolutely you failed. That's what we have the family of God for. We can come together and we can confess our sins. We can be honest about our struggles and we can encourage each other and lift each other up. And when we fall down in the ditch of sin, other believers will come and they'll prop us up and lift us up and get us out of that. And they will walk with us and they're not better than any of us. We're all strugglers on this journey. And yet we're struggling toward the same thing, which is a reality that God is struggling inside of us too to work this out. And so that's okay. You have the freedom to fail. If Abraham could fail in the major ways he did, if Moses can fail in the major ways, if Peter can fail. And we look at Peter and we go, man, what, you know, out of all the disciples, you know who, who really was the star? It was Judas. Judas, I mean, he was the money handler. He always thinks if anybody would have been on the success, it would have been Judas. He just, you know what he did? He betrayed, he deceived everybody. But the biggest failure, Peter, he got up and led the church. And so that can happen for you. You can get up and you can lead and you can walk on this journey 
as long as you don't think you have to be perfect. Uh, Herman Melville wrote it this way, uh, not in Moby Dick, uh, but in one of his writings. He says, he who has never failed somewhere, that one cannot be great. How many of you have failed? Raise your hands. Okay, you're a candidate for greatness. If you didn't raise your hand, you can never be great. He who has never failed somewhere, that one cannot be great. Failure is the true test of greatness. Man, don't try to live by the law. If so, you're going to be a hypocrite. Because you have to become a hypocrite to live by the law. Because you can't. You deceive yourself or you deceive others. But one, one thing's true. Living by the law just brings deception. But living by grace, living by faith in what Jesus did... That's not about you achieving perfection for salvation. That's about God perfecting you for that day when your salvation is complete. Don't try to earn it. You can't earn it. Don't try to live a life so you deserve it. You can never get there. But you can receive it by faith. You can fall in the grace of Jesus day one and every day from then on. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for Jesus, the the author and finisher of our salvation, the one who has gone before us, Lord, to lead the example by faith. Uh, We know, Father, that we fail. We know we are all broken people who are in need of Jesus Christ. I pray that's true, that we all have come to that terms. Maybe today some have come for the very first time and they want to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Call them to do that, God. Even now, confess that Jesus is Lord. And then believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead, that he died, went to the cross, and was resurrected. He is our Savior. Even now, Father, people can believe that and make that decision, that this day becomes their day of salvation. Because other than that, we're prisoners of sin. May that be true. And for the rest of us who've walked to many years, God, may we once again be confronted with our utter failure and then be so thankful that for this we have Jesus. That we are not depressed. We are not discouraged because of it. Because we are pulled out of that by Jesus, our Savior. Of course we need him. May we cling to him the rest of our lives for all that we have and all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.